The following audio is from Axe Church Northwest in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit axechurchnorthwest.com. Uh, I invite you to open up your apps or your Bibles or, or whatever you use to read Scripture mobily. And uh, we're going to be in Psalm 137. It's not going to be on the big screen, so Google it, or you can just listen to me. Uh, this, this psalm has been, uh, you, you might have heard of it. There's other people that have taken this song and turned it into pop songs. Bob Marley did that. Uh, but, but this is where it comes from, and they leave out the last line nearly every time, the last couple of lines. That's what we're going to talk about today. Psalm 137, I'm reading from the ESV. You can read along with whatever you have. It reads this. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres. For there our captives required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of those songs of Zion. How long... Shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my hand, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I don't remember you. If I don't set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem. How they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. We're going to cover the last two verses in the sermon. Uh, But to get us going into that, I'd love for you to look at the person next to you or in the huddles we have. uh, And and have you ever had one of those um, spoiler alerts and somebody like let the secret out before you got to see the end? It usually happens in movies or in books. Um, but turn and tell, if, if somebody let the secret out before you got to watch it, whether it's a book, a movie, or a game, uh, tell your neighbor about that time. Well, apparently in our house, it's Dancing with the Stars. That's what we, all the spoilers get ruined. Um, and it's true. So there's that. Um, a couple, let's see, it was between my... my um, undergraduate and my graduate school time that I went up to a camp, the camp that Kristen and I met at, Camp Arcadia in Michigan, and uh, I volunteered for a week. I volunteered for a week during a teen week where they bring in external people to be counselors, and uh, you hang out with high school kids, and it was amazing, and it was great, and it was right around the time that Harry Potter came out or the, the end of Harry Potter, I should say, came out. So we're sitting at one of these uh, barbecues. Uh, yeah, I think I'm eating pulled pork. There was a cookie. There was chips. And, and I remember I had watermelon in my hand, and I was working on the watermelon. And I, I was in this little corral of people talking about life. And this was big news at the time. And, um, and this person blurted out the spoiler. She said, oh yeah, at the end of here, Dumbledore dies. And I, I remember dropping, I, I like literally dropped my watermelon in her direction. And I was like, 
are you serious? Like I've been around, this was like Thursday and I was like, we've made it this far and you just ruined this book for me. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, oh, and inside me started burning up this kind of little, are you kidding me? Like it's the red face. It's that one right there. But she's a teenager and it's just the book. So I kind of got over it. But, but I'm like, mm, that, that, yeah, I wanted to know. I wanted the surprise and the secret. Um, and over this series, we're looking at all of these emotions, all of these emotions. And we're, we're trying to figure out how do our emotions intersect with God's will and how do our emotions intersect with God's word. And we, we didn't, in our, when we were reading Psalm 137 earlier, we didn't read it. But there's a big spoiler alert in Psalm 137. Uh, we, we often hear the first couple of verses of that song or psalm, um, but, the, but the last two verses are also very popular, specifically verse 9. Uh, this is not a good life verse for anyone. Don't stamp this, don't put this on your wall. Uh, it's a, a verse that, at, taken out of context, uh, can, can make. Christianity look really hateful and, and vengeful. So that's where we're going today. Um, so I'm going to read it to you. You can, you can read it along. Uh, I'll just start at seven. It says, Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem. And they said, Lay it bare, lay it bare, down to the foundation. They're talking about uh, the city of Jerusalem. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you've done to us. And then here's the verse that's really hard to read. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. Whew. Let's be honest. This verse, let, uh, blessed, happy is the one, blessed is the one who takes your kids, your babies, and throws them against the rocks. Um, I turn the page, and it's Psalm 138. There's not a happy bow or resolution on the end of Psalm 137. That's where it ends. And it's ridiculous. It's, it's a bit ridiculous, and it's kind of one of those things that you're like, I'm just going to skip that in my Bible reading plan. Or I, I, it, I, just be honest, it makes, it makes me squirm, and I hope it makes you squirm because it's strange. And you read that, and you're like, this is the psalmist talking to God, and then this is just where he's at. And I think that's, I mean, it's there for us to read and to learn and to digest and to learn about God. And what do we do with that? Uh, there's, there's a number of Psalms that have this kind of bent to it, not a, maybe not as brutal, but they've got this kind of bent to them. And the theological word for it is imprecatory Psalms. And they are really, really powerful because they show us the emotion. They show us that emotion, that red-faced steam coming out of the ears uh, emotion. And it's, um, it shows us the emotion of vengeance and revenge. And it was some, some anger built up in there as well. Why is the psalmist so passionate about vengeance? Um, I think we see that in verses 1 through 4, and I'll read those for us again. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. 
On the willows there we hung up our lyres. For there, in Babylon, our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors, in Babylon, mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And then they, the psalmist says, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? These people were, weren't like us. You know how we kind of are very mobile and uh, our phones can take people that are far away and connect us immediately, or they can separate the person in front of you. But, but we're mobile and we have geographic freedom right now. Uh, we, we don't have to worship God in, in one spot. But at this time, uh, the, the people of God, uh, Jerusalem was the place where they worshiped. The temple was of massive, massive importance. And they got taken over by the Babylonians. This is, they're the, the, they're the, the empire on the east side of the Fertile Crescent, like modern day Iraq. And, and, and these people get taken away into exile and they get taken to, to Babylon. If you, uh, if you remember um, Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, what, what they did was they took some of the best, like they took the, the best of the best of, of the Israelites and they took them and made them live in a foreign land. And what, what strikes me as fascinating is just how... They're, they're, they're in exile, but then God, or, or their tormentors, make them sing songs about their foreign land. I read a book in seminary, and it was called Trauma and Evil by J. Jeffrey Means. And he said that, that trauma happens to us. We all experience trauma and pain and just the junk that hits us, whether it's from somebody else or whether it's just from, you know, getting knocked around in the world. And he said, trauma is trauma. He said, but evil is when somebody takes that trauma and makes it replay over and over again. So if you think about that, he, the, the psalmist is saying, they, they want, sing us one of your songs of Zion is what they're saying. That's just a little turn. Hey, you're not home anymore, but I want you to sing your songs. Sing the songs you sing to your God right now as entertainment. And he said, we hung up our musical instruments because we were so sad and our hearts were broken because we weren't there anymore. The Babylonians were brutal. They were evil like that when they were away, but they were also brutal when they took over a, um, a, a, a nation. Um, 2 Kings 25 shows us this picture, and you can just see the brutality that they have. Uh, before they took the king away, because they took the, the, good, the good people, the blue chips, the, the top-notch people, they took them away to go be in their um, kingdom. I mean, what kind of a trophy would it be? Hey, I overtook all of these kingdoms, and here are the kings that used to rule them, and they're all under me. Whew, that's brutal. But... What they did to the king in 2 Kings 25 was they, they, brought all, they brought his family ahead of him. And they killed his family right in front of him. And, and then the, the brutality gets even more. They, they took out that king's eyes, so that would be the last thing that he saw. And they took him blind over to Babylon. These were mean, bad 
bad people. And like verse 9 says, yeah, they, when they came down, they, they tore down the temple. That's in verse 7. But, but then in verse 9, they, they took the, the good ones away and, and they left some of the weaker ones as a remnant. And they took the babies and they killed the babies. And they did it in a horrific way, throwing them against rocks. So Psalm 137 is a, a prayer and you see it in, in verse 7. He's like, hey, do to them what they did to us. All this horror that they did to us, do it back to them. It's, it's, a, it's like a curse, right? Like he's, he's, the, the psalmist is cursing these people to God. It's not like the Harry Potter curse, but it's, like the, it's a curse. And it's a prayer for revenge because... The psalmist, and this is where it comes down to our level, the psalmist had a massive, massive grudge. You might say, that's a bit more than a grudge, Barrett, but it was a grudge. And a grudge is a universal human experience. We've all had grudges. If you haven't, then you're awesome. But I think we've all had a grudge at one point. And a grudge is like carrying around a rock, a heavy rock, a rock heavier than this one. I found a thin one, but... A heavy, one of those big limestone rocks you see on all the buildings around here. And it's like carrying around a rock and just walking around with it. Because it's heavy. And it's also, uh, a, a grudge is also, we can treat it and we can, we can treat a grudge or a heavy rock kind of like our own baby. We can feed it. Like, Barrett, how do you feed a rock? Well, you feed a grudge with hostile thoughts. You say, oh, because they did that to me, I'm just angry. And you can feed a grudge. And you can feed a grudge with emotions. You can feed a a grudge with, with angry emotions with emotions that are fear. Oh, they, they better be afraid. Uh, but, or, or maybe I'm afraid because they did this to me once and I don't want to do it again. And, and the last thing is a grudge can grow. I don't have a bigger rock, I promise. But, but a grudge can grow like a baby when you feed it hostility, hostile thoughts, uh, Hostile emotions, it can grow. And, and when a grudge gets big enough, it will shape the way you view the world. And that's, oh, it's scary. And it's, it's ugly. Uh, in, in undergraduate, I had a, I had a, a mentor who had, uh, he, he specialized in gerontology, ger, gerontology, in older people and aging, I should say. I can't speak. And, and he said, Barrett, there's something that happens with, with um, people that are older. And he was dealing with people in nursing homes and everything. He's like, as people get older, they can either hold tighter to the things that have hurt them and get really, really constricted, and it shapes the way they view everything, or they can get really loose and understand that, yeah, stuff's going to happen, but, but I'm going to keep moving forward. And that was a fascinating picture to hear at 20 of people that were four times my age. And I was like, ooh, 
There, there's something spiritual there about holding on to something so, so tight. Uh, grudges weigh you down. They're heavy for your body, and they are uh, dangerous to your soul. So if you want to hold a grudge, if you want to hold a grudge, uh, maybe this is what Psalm 137 was put there for. It's hard to read. It's like, oh, all, all the agnostics and atheists can be like, hey, uh, what do you guys do with this? Well, let's just call it what it is. It's, it's, it's someone who's holding the grudge. And it's someone who's really, really hurt. And so if you want to hold a grudge, do what verse 7 says. Remember, O Lord. Rem- and, and the psalmist even says this. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites. He's like, remember when they tore this down? And if you want to hold a grudge or feed a grudge, you remember what happened. And you, you remember uh, and you let that feed inside of you. Hey, God, remember when that person hurt my feelings four years ago? I hope you remember because I sure remember. Or remember when they said that to me yesterday? God, I hope you're remembering because I'm remembering. And if we're honest, like, that happens a lot. I want you to remember because I'm still ticked off about this. First thing you need to do is remember if you want to hold a grudge. Second thing you need to do is demand repayment. This is what verses 8 and 9 are. The psalmist says, O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, Blessed or happy shall he be who repays you for what you've done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. You can look at this and say, somebody has really hurt this writer. And grudges will wound you. If you carry it around long enough, it gets heavy. Uh, but, but if you don't know what to do with it, it will wound you. And you don't solve a wound with repayment, right? Like if one of you guys were, don't do this, to come and punch me in the nose and my nose were to be bleeding, uh, I would not be healed by punching you back in the nose, right? I would be healed by going to the, that's getting heavy. I'd be healed by going to uh, the nearest hospital, having them put my nose back in order and shoving it full of uh, gauze to stop the bleeding. Like the eye for the eye thing, it doesn't work. Jesus talked about that. He's like, it, it just doesn't work. They, the Israelites in the Old Testament tried it. They're like, hey, maybe if we just fight back or get bigger chariots, that'll work. Didn't, didn't work. <laughs> Not at all. And so I guess what my question to you is and what, what I think of here is where we figured out where the psalmist goes for healing, but where do you and I go for healing? Because grudges are going to happen. Trauma is going to happen to us. And I'm going to tell you some functional ways that we go to healing. One is food. This is me. I'm like, okay, somebody ticks me off or I get beat up a little bit by words or something like that. I'm like, let's go to Ben and Jerry's, get some ice cream, sit down. I will feel better momentarily. Let's just be honest. That's that's what some people do. Some people, uh, they, they, it's, it's very emotional. They get really, really sad and they shut down or they get really, really angry and, and lash out. A lot of people repress it when there's a grudge. Like, you know what? That didn't affect me. 
They just try to shake it off their shoulder and move on. And, and a lot of times that doesn't work. It hides. The writer uh, of, of Psalms, what, he, what did he do? He wrote it down. He wrote it down. And that's why we have it in our scripture. But you guys know where I'm going here. Um, we take our grudges and our junk that we carry around in life to Jesus. And there's a story I want to remind you guys of. I know you know it. Um, but I want to maybe shape it in a different way. In Luke 19, uh, we, we get the story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. This is years after, so they, they got taken away somewhere in the 500 BCs. So about 500, 530 years later, uh, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on the colt, a foal of a donkey. And he is coming in, and what are the people shouting? Hosanna! Hosanna! Save us, is what they're shouting. These people are shouting, save us, Hosanna. And if I were coming in on a horseback and people were like screaming and putting their cloaks down and, and putting palm fronds down and saying, Hosanna, hey, you're the one who can save us. I'd be extremely happy. But what does Jesus do? He weeps. He weeps. Because Jesus knows what's going on. And he knows that these people that are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us, that in a couple of days, they're going to be saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so when Jesus rolls into town, um, I, I like to think that he knew these people weren't his friends, but he knew they were his enemies. And so when Jesus looks at his enemies, he, he weeps. Uh, because he's prophet, he's priest, and he's king. And, and he's prophet when he, in, uh, in Luke 19, like 43 and 44, he says, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. Jesus, in that last verse, he's, he's referencing Psalm 137.9. He's also referencing Nahum and another prophet. And he's saying, hey, this is going to happen to you. You people are my enemies, and this is going to happen to you. And truth be told, like historically, we can say, okay, here's the prophecy, and here is the fulfillment. Because in 70 A.D., uh, it was a Roman general, Titus, came in, and what did he do? Encircled the city, tore down the temple, uh, killed many um, of the Israelites, took babies, tore them down. Threw them down, just like the Babylonians did. And, and Jesus knows this is coming, but, but he doesn't respond with, we got him this time. He, he weeps. And why does he weep? Why does Jesus weep? Because Jesus is on a different path than the psalmist. The psalmist is walking the path of vengeance and revenge. And Jesus is walking the path of forgiveness. 
these stories, these accounts, like Psalm 137, and then what we see on Palm Sunday, beg a question of us. Is our way marked with vengeance, or is our way marked with forgiveness? Because it's just like those 80-year-old people. Uh, when you're clenching on to something so tight, it's hard to receive anything. When you're holding on to something so tight, it's so hard to receive or to put your hands out. I do want to say this. If you have a grudge or if you have trauma, um, the pain that you're enduring or have endured in the past, it really does matter. It really does. And the emotions that you're feeling are real. I'm not saying, hey, let's just tie a pretty Jesus bow on it. What I'm saying is that stuff is real. Um, but I want to ask you, is there something that's more important than that? And then I want to submit to you that grace and mercy and forgiveness and healing are more important than holding on to this. And so what you're invited to do, what I'm invited to do, is to take our grudge and put it at the cross. Put it at the foot of the cross. Because we'll still feel those feelings, but this is the only place where there's healing. People have tried it. God's people have tried the eye for an eye thing. It doesn't work. You and I have tried that. Nations have tried that. And it just gets really ugly and a lot of people die. But healing comes from here. And the coolest part is that when Jesus was walking in on that donkey and he was weeping over his enemies, part of me thinks that he was weeping for, the, for them right then, for the people of Israel, for his chosen people, um, for his church right now, for the families that are in here. But, but I know that in that moment or a moment similar to it, Jesus is weeping for you and for me. Because at some point in our life, we are enemies of God. Because of our sin, because of our walking away from him, because of our arrogance towards him, because of our pride. That we are sinful and, and we're counted as enemies. But his movement towards us is the same. He weeps over us, but then he provides a way for us. At the end of Palm Sunday week, he went on the cross and he hung there knowing you were in the game plan. He hung there and died for you. And, and not to, to say, I'm doing this, you're my enemy, but to take all those things that make you and me an enemy and to put them on himself. We believe that the sin that we have, he puts on his shoulders and he dies for us. And then three days later, he rises again as the king. So I want to invite you to, to take up, to pick up something much more important than this. I want to invite you to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Follow him in the way of grace and mercy and forgiveness and life. And when we're talking about grudges and, re and revenge and vengeance, to take up the way of healing and to follow him. Because there's two ways. There's the way of the rock, and there's the way of the cross. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, um, you invite us into uh, following you. And you invite us to do that with our whole lives. And there's things that we hold on to and that I hold on to that need to, to die and be left before um, your cross. Help us see that, that your way is always the best way and shape our lives towards, towards that. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio from Axe Church Northwest. To stay connected, visit axechurchnorthwest.com.